This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Pie in the Sky Media. This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence throughout. Listener discretion is advised. get my microphone there we go okay is this on can you hear me three two one welcome back murder chronicles nation from 101 degree southern california's beautiful san fernando valley i'm brandon morgan i produce the show with the great carolyn osorio hi carolyn hi brandon hi hi it's fucking hot in Los Angeles today. <laughs> really? It's so nice here in the Pacific Northwest. I'm so ready for summer to be over. Oh, just give me the cool fall weather, the World Series on TV, football season. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what I'm waiting well, for. Well, my kids go back to school tomorrow. So today I've been shuttling them around to orientations. and. So my kids have been back to school already for two weeks. Today they started their third week of school today, um, which I'm very happy about. But speaking of, <clears throat> here's a segue for you. Speaking of education and learning, I was shocked by how little I knew about Ted Bundy until I listened to this episode. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I honestly shocked. I thought I knew like a bunch of shit about him, and I did. Mm-hmm. But for you to cram as much in a, as you did into a 50 or so minute episode, I knew nothing. I knew absolutely nothing about it, you know? And I realized that the only thing I knew about Bundy was what I learned from you in The Shadow Girls, uh, which you should all go listen to, by the way, if um, you're interested in how uh, they Hannibal lectured him in the, in Seattle to kind of- <laughs> Hannibal lectured him. To try to get him say, yo, you're a maniac. Let us know how to catch this other maniac and maybe you'll get like, you know, an extra piece of bologna on your fucking prison sandwich. I don't know wh- how they got him to talk, but they offered him something. Oh, he, he reached out to them. Oh, really? Wow. Like, because that's his psychology where he's like, I can, I can help oh, you. Uh, yeah. The river man, the river man. That's what yeah. he would call him because he oh, kind of thought of himself as the connoisseur. Whereas Gary Ridgeway, well, they didn't know who he was at the time, was like lowbrow compared to him. But the Riverman's a cool name, though, I'll tell you. It's a pretty cool name. I mean, I just, it, it's just interesting to hear how his brain works. And I think that's why people are so, you know, he just, he just keeps coming back, keeps coming back because it's like, you know, what he did. So yeah. what were you surprised by? What were you most surprised by? Prison escapes. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 on the second escape, he 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 killed people. Yeah. No, that was his final right. Show. Like you know, his... holy shit. Like yeah. he escaped and then and and committed a, a bunch of murder and mayhem. Mm-hmm. So that I mean, those prison people must feel like shit, but 
but so hold up. So so but but back to the beginning. It's interesting how it started with this with this poor little girl. Um, but I've it starts with this major question for me. The way that you lay the story out, okay? Um, it's really awful, awful that middle of the night, you know, you can put yourself in the situation of the parents. Well, where you know the doors open, the windows open, you go outside and you see a bench underneath your daughter's window, and you know something is fucked up. Okay. And so the dad, to his credit, goes out there. He's like, I'm gonna go find this person, whatever. And this is what I don't understand. He sees this kid at four in the morning kicking dirt into a hole. And why doesn't he just go get him? I don't think it was four in the morning. I think it was like, you know, they were certain. Okay. So they, the mom wakes up at 5 a.m., you know, had some feeling that something terrible has happened and she goes down and sure enough, it has. So then, you know, you've got to call the police and get the neighbors and you're going through the neighborhood and you're going, you know, it's like, it's kind of like concentric circles that he's going out. So at some point he got there. I don't think it was that early. I think that by the time, and I mean, he just, it was a feeling. It wasn't like, you know, that's the kid. Right. But he saw the kid at a weird hour doing something weird with like, I don't think kicking dirt into a hole is weird. I think that hindsight, he probably was like, you know, yeah, we should check that out. But there's so many other things that the police are looking at too. I don't think that you could say. And and they were never able to exhume that site or to dig it up. I, 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 it was underneath like asphalt and it was like a new road. So there was nothing, you know, you, it, you know, they weren't going to dig up the entire road wow. and they, there was no proof that that's where she was, you yeah. know? And then, uh, I didn't know that. Well, and it turned out that I didn't need to know cause it wasn't true, but that, uh, that there was a rumor that he was a product of incest, that his grandfather was also his father, which is just a weird sentence to say. Um, but I also found it, uh, strange and curious that, so when would he have been born? What was his birthday? If he was 41 or 42 in 88. So he was born in the, in the, in the early forties. Okay. So then it would make sense, but that, that, that was, there was still a home for unwed mothers. Like that was a thing, right? Yeah. Cause it was so blasphemous. Right. <laughs> for a woman to not have a husband for, you know, and so they put you in a fucking home in the woods in Vermont, right. Mm-hmm. Where there's nothing around and no one can see you. And, mm-hmm. and you could, you could, you know, be alone in your shame. How dare I mean, you? Yeah. Right? And so, but that's true. That's where he was born in that he was born in a home for unwed mothers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even think about that. Actually, yeah. you described it perfectly, but yeah, I mean that's not that long ago, and it's not that's long exactly, ago at all. Right. Exactly what it was. Yeah, with all of those, without like that scarlet letter type of shit associated with it, right? That's where we send you away. That's where you know because because you'll bring shame on the family. You know, mm-hmm. like no, how I, I, I'm yeah, absolutely you. You described that perfectly, and. You know, yeah. the baggage that women have had to carry. I mean, you're going to know my thoughts on that. I mean, that's yeah, of course. Right. You know. Um, and then, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff about, you know, his early days. But then there there was a really interesting observation. Uh, one of the interviewees said that uh, by the time he was in school, OK, he was in college and, and um, that he received a master's in sexual murder. Right. Like that's why he was studying it. 
not so he could defend it, but so he could know how to get away with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's fucking. That's, that was Anne Rule who said that, and she yeah, had a receipt. Yeah. Anne Rule. That was um, that was a real interesting thing to think about because that shows, you know, the depth of his kind of broken psychology, and and how how early those feelings in him were activated, you know, and and and, and prioritized. Well, and then the way that he has talked during his comp- confessions, like how he would kind of take the third person and and you know the entity you know, describing himself and, you know, he really, I mean, I just, the whole highbrow thing, that's all I can describe it because it's like, he wants to try to act like, you know, we should be impressed or I I don't know. It's just like a a layer of removal. And that's something when I interviewed uh, detective Dave Reichert, who was with uh, in that interrogation for the Green River killer, you know, he said how he just you know, thought that he was, you know, he just tried to put this barrier between his deeds and when he was talking to people. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, you can't help but be fascinated by it and repulsed. And I think that that's why there's that interest in him that, that, um, you know, even the judge during that cut, like, he's like, it could have gone a whole different oh, I'll, way. I'll get, we'll, we'll, we'll get to good old boy in a second. <laughs> We will get to that motherfucker. Okay. <laughs> Just hold on. Um, get old boy. But, oh, geez. But until we get to him. Um, right. Uh, so there were some, I, I listen, I'll be honest. There were some things that I found criminally impressive about Bundy, right? Like before him, I don't know if there were other, um, if there were other lunatics like him that would, that would appeal to a woman's or a human's sense of uh, charity. Like I need to help this guy. I feel bad for him because he's got a cast or he's got crutches. Right. And to go back to silence of the lambs, that's what wild bill did. The one abduction we saw wild bill. Can you help me move this coach? What, what are, what are you says 14? Oh, says 14. <laughs> no, get inside, get inside and help. So, uh, so that was uh, that was scary. So I don't know if that was a, an original idea from from Bundy, but also in several episodes that we've done, we've talked about the the the, the breakdown in police work with something as simple as an imaginary line drawn on a map with regard to jurisdiction. Okay, Bundy exploited that on purpose, mm-hmm. right? Cross jurisdictional lines. Oh well, it's not it's not ours anymore. He's not here anymore. He's gone. There's nothing that we can do about it. And he exploited that to i mean his awful awful benefit for a long time according to this this one you know the detective who was talking about it and so, that's the difference is that he studied that right it wasn't something that was just a part of his i have to do it the need to do it he studied it and 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 realized that that would be uh make him harder to catch and yeah. you could tell that it was a game he not only got off on killing people and torturing them and sexually assaulting them and all of that but the game of it all, you know, to to try to game the system. And clearly there was something in that too. And then the prison breaks, you know, he actually tried to, they have found evidence in his um, room, his jail cell at, in Florida of how he was trying to like dig out somewhere. I don't know if it's digging out, but he was wanted to make an escape. And I mean, that's like the most crazy prison where it's like, you're not getting out of there. I mean, it's not Alcatraz, but like, um, you know, he wanted to get out. Beyond his obvious monstrous kind of 
tendencies. Uh, I didn't also, uh, there were, there was a lot of other terrible th things going on uh, in particular where I wasn't aware of was that he had two girls at one time and he made one watch while he killed the other. Like that, that was a, a, a new level for me that I wasn't aware that he had done. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing that, that, that surprised me, shocked me is how, how much you can fucking get away with or how much incriminating evidence you could have on you and the police still have to cut you loose. He had a kill kit. They called it a kill kit mm -hmm. on the passenger seat of his car. They're like, really wish we could keep well, it. Let's just say there's no passenger, passenger seat. No passenger seat. Yeah, no passenger seat. No, <laughs> no passenger, passenger seat. seat. And a kill kit. Yeah. Wish we had enough to hold you. I'm sure you're, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. There's a great know, but, explanation for all of it. Go ahead. Go on your way, you little scamp. I mean, it's great that at least the, the officer was like, hey, this is this. We can't just let this guy go. There's something more. And that's what led them to, you know, hey, let's look this guy up. He's from Washington. And that's how the whole thing the started. Forensic material in his car led to his arrests, which led to his escapes and all of that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and his escape, his first one was like. I have an absolute right to defend myself. I need to go to your library. Okay. Geez. All right. Go. Let I him. love how you got all like business. Like this yeah, well, is my that's how I would say it. I know. I, I can tell. I right to defend myself. I need access to your, to the library and to the legal books. So I can, I can give myself the defense that I'm, I'm afforded under the fifth amendment to the constitution. Go for it. And that's, and then the charm that he had, because yeah. clearly he's not just charming. I mean, I'm assuming and this is a gender thing that I don't like it when I do this, but I'm assuming that the judge was a man back in the day and that he's charming him. He's basically saying, yes, judge, and trying to speak his language and try to come across as this like, you know, young upstart. And it freaking worked. Yep. You know? Yep. And and the second escape, the fact that he was allowed to escape a second time when you know yeah. this prisoner has a propensity for escape and he's wicked smart, right? And like, I wonder why he's starving himself. <laughs> Could it be to fit through that tiny hole up in the ceiling? <laughs> nah. Did you ever see the uh, the Clint Eastwood thing with the Alcatraz? Of course, it was a fucking brilliant movie. I loved that movie. I loved it too. Yeah. I loved it too. Just the whole the whole thing is just like one I of the mean, great unsolved mysteries of all time. Yeah, you know, I think they made it. I think all three of them. How bad did you feel for that poor guy who couldn't jump high enough? Right. At the end, the fourth guy couldn't make it. That poor bastard. He's all sweaty. Couldn't make it. And there are his homeboys on their fake rafts kicking their way across the San Francisco Bay. I I, I bet they made it. I, yeah. We'll never know. Yep. I mean, it was a great freaking movie. I mean, talk about like, yeah, the struggle is real. A great movie keep like stealing hair from the barbershop right to put on the oh my gosh for the dummies the oh yeah heads. yeah yes. and the plaster of paris <laughs> like to replace what you're digging out so like yes. you'll never can tell I mean, that was so good mm -hmm. so good yeah it was a great movie yeah i mean it's hard to admit that you kind of you know even though he is a serial killer you kind of you know, he he thought about things and he made it happen. You know, he I don't want to give him anything, but you know, no, it's one of those. Listen, it's one of those things where if he had chosen a different path, he could he could have done great things. You know, yeah. he probably could have been a great okay, judge. 
No, he could have been a great economist. He could have been a great whatever. I'm not going so far as that good old boy judge, which reminded me of like in the heat of the night or like (laughs) to kill a mockingbird, right? Where what he was really saying was, and I only say this to the white men who are in front of me, but I'm sorry that you went this way because you could have done great things, boy. You know, that's what it's. it's, And I'm not the aspersions that this judge was racist. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is that by virtue of how he sounded and the way that those accents have been portrayed in the media, and you know, especially in Southern courts over the Mm -hmm. years, right? Mm -hmm. That's where someone's imagination takes them, right? And for him to be so effusive with his praise of a fucking psychopath and to say in open court i would have loved to have you you know try cases before my bench you know whatever that's partner 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 you and i mean and he didn't just let it go once he said he goes i mean it when i say take care of yourself like you know don't don't get raped in the shower or whatever i mean i don't know what he was telling him but it just again we get it you're sorry that a white, a promising white man, right, like decided to be a serial killer instead of be a good old, you know, backwoods country lawyer at your bench. I, I'm sorry, judge. But, but I mean, I think that it wasn't just that judge. He kept doing. I mean, how does he get plans to escape? He when he was in um, the the he was, you know, sentenced to death and he was in that place where they put people who are sentenced to death. That's he right. got conjugal visits and got his wife pregnant i mean he should have never had conjugal visits and they were able to bribe her in there and it was like real quick i mean i mean so does he have a kid out there somewhere yes yes so that kid would be about our age oh no he's younger from this conjugal visit that kid would be in late 30s or or like early 40s it happened in uh 1980 okay He, he, he proposed to his wife during one of his trials, wow. she was a character witness. Was she one of the uh, hybristophiliacs? Hybristophilia? Hybristophiliacs. Yeah. I want to meet one of those girls. Your eyes <laughs> just lit up. <laughs> Which serial killer set or trial would you go to, Brad? I don't. I don't know, but I. I was. It just seemed very interesting. Just to, you know, as a psychological study. Mm-hmm. That's not what I mean. Okay, mm-hmm. but uh, <laughs> no, I know, and and those girls at the that cut that I threw in there, I was oh like, she's like, I'm scared every time he looks at me, but at least there are other people in here, so I'm okay. <laughs> they were just so titillated, right? So electrified. It was, I know. Him. Yeah, That's I love that. Do that voice again. <laughs> Do it again. So hold on. So so. But he escaped by starving himself and shimmying up into that dude's apartment and putting on regular clothes and just fucking walking out. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what that's when the Chi Omega shit happened, right? Yeah. Holy fuck. Yeah. He just he like blew a gasket from a guy who's already a nutcase. Yeah. I mean, this was a rampage. Yeah. It was. That I mean. And I, as I'm listening to it, because Kai Omega was mentioned a few times in the beginning, and and the, again, the, the, the my lack of knowledge about all things Ted Bundy, I didn't know what they were talking about, and I was going to pretend I did when we talked, okay, uh, right? But but thankfully it came up in the end, and 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 I'm thinking I'm going, 
a sorority house to Ted Bundy mm-hmm. must be like like a, a never-ending like skate park when a I was bakery. in my teens, right? Like just a kid in a fucking candy store, you know? Mm-hmm. Like a cute, how would he even know where to start? You know, I like, mean, it's like when he went to Aspen, he went to Colorado. He's like, right. hey, I'm going to ski places. He's probably got his turtleneck and his like, you know, he's he's raring to go and have his, has his ruse in, you know, set in motion of like, you know, that that's the thing about, you know, teaching young women, girls to you don't have to be the good girl. Like, that's not your role. Like if somebody asks you to do something, you know, a lot of time, you know, it's a retraining of, you know, you don't have to do it. You know, you don't have to smile and and be a quote unquote good girl because that's what he was taking advantage of, you know? Wow. That just, you know, and, and hearing him, Oh, what was I just going to mention in his own words, the pornography stuff. Okay. So hearing about how he behaved in that sorority house, all right, knowing what his evolution was as a sexual, like, psychopath, okay, when he's saying very honestly and very kind of openly and and kind of intelligently talking about addiction, how Mm -hmm. you're always going, you want it to get better and better and better and want it to be, like, as good as the first time that you did it, all of that. And then he said that chilling thing. He goes... And when the pornography stops stops working, you start thinking, well, maybe if I actually did it instead of just looking at it, maybe that would give me the feeling that he was that he was chasing. And then and then imagining him in that sorority house, that is his that is the I mean, for want of a better term, no pun intended, the climax of his career as a serial killer. Like, was he finally able to to get that high that he had been chasing? You know, I mean, I think he was just unhinged. He was yeah. completely and totally unhinged because he could have just started a whole new life because he was smart enough, clearly. And they, you know, it's could have disappeared. Yeah, he could have disappeared. Yeah, you know, but, he really but, could have. Well, listen, I mean, he couldn't have because he's fucking broken, right? But I'm saying, like, if he didn't have that mental defect uh, of psychopathy and I'm a murderer and a serial killer, sure. He had the intelligence to disappear, but he never, that was never even an option. He was going to do this shit again. He wasn't fucking going to run, you know? Oh, well, and that's where the whole addiction comes into play. Exactly. And I def- that's why. Right. I, yeah. I definitely and think that. But it's a day you know, I'm telling you, sitting here, like listening to the episode and then making my notes and talking to you. It's a really icky, dangerous fucked up place to try and figure out you know his mind or even to even to try like no one's gonna ever do it but just to even try just to think for a second about his reasoning about how pornography stopped working and taking the next leap into doing it himself and would that scratch the itch but no of course it wouldn't if it worked he would just want it to work more and to work better and to get more and more and more of it you know and he was never he was never gonna stop no absolutely not fucking stop until that hooded executioner flipped a switch on fucking old Sparky. 2,000 volts for 60 seconds. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. And I didn't know, I mean, hearing that report, I don't know if it was a reporter because I, he didn't speak like a reporter. Mm-hmm. Or he was really- about the guy in front of the prison? 
Yeah. He yeah. Was, or, or he was really shaken by having witnessed an execution, but he was like, but he, he, he described the black hood. I didn't know there was an actual black hood over the fucking execution with slits in the eyes. He, 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 he couldn't figure out what it was called. I you called know? it a veil. Oh, it's a veil on the executioner. I mean, it's really, and then, you know, they've shown photos of how they, you know, shaved his head. And then like, I mean, it's just really gruesome. And, you know, even the cheers, you know, depending on where you land with, you know, the death penalty, it's like, but if anybody deserved it, I mean, you know, absolutely. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that that interview with the, not to cut you off, but I think that interview with the, the uh, doctor at the end, I think it was a reverend um, before the execution you know i think he was still trying to get brownie points to get a stay of, of execution yeah. i think right. that he really was trying to because he he'd had two previously right. so um so yeah I, I think that maybe there there was a little bit of truth to that because you know you know serial killers lie but um i think he was definitely you know trying to you know save himself to the very end i'm just i'm just kind of interested in this the whole executioner business um i did a podcast i produced a podcast called the pink moon murders okay mm-hmm. and the journalist and the writer behind that one has another story where he befriended this this guy who's killed more people than like anyone ever um because he was the executioner in a prison system where he flipped the switch on like 350 different guys okay mm-hmm. Like he's killed hundreds of people and he's I, just I, like, and he's just like a dude. That's his job. Mm-hmm. That's his job. You know, he goes home and hangs out with his wife and raised family, puts kids through college and like all that kind of shit. And, um, and he would talk about, you know, back when there were still firing squads and stuff, right? Like oh my gosh. Other prisons that have firing squads and, uh, and they'd have like five marksmen, but all, and five of the exact One same. One of them has the bullet. And only one has the bullet, right? Um, or like when it like the gas chamber, like because there always has to be a physician there, okay? But the physician, the Hippocratic Oath, first do no harm, blah blah blah. They can't obviously they can't do it. So they get all the way right up to the line, and then some dipshit comes in and goes, eh, I'll press the button. Bye. Right. <laughs> so like shit, like at the gas chamber and stuff, like, like, like what is that doc? Who's that doctor trying to bullshit? Like, oh, you really didn't do it, Doc? You mix all of the chemicals, you put the fucking needle in the arm, but you don't open the thing on the fucking IV bag. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolved. You're super Well, cool. I mean, I think that, I mean, we talked about um, the the movie. What movie were we talking about? But with Einstein and and how, like, he gave them the... the Oppenheimer, yeah. Oppenheimer, yeah. I mean, yeah. He, he gave them the recipe of what to do, you know, FDR. And that's yeah, why... Einstein felt, felt shitty about it. He did for the rest of his life. But, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it's like, I think that, you know, it, it's like if I wouldn't want to have anything to do with it. That's why I'm glad I'm not in those positions yeah. of having to make those decisions. I mean, that gas chamber, have you ever actually seen yeah. what a gas chamber looks like? It's yeah. like. It, it so, looks like a it's a looks like a death chamber like that's how it's designed it's like an not, octagon and there's weird colored tiles and shit I, right <laughs> like, i would just be like bye I mean, <laughs> no shit right but yes yes the electric cha- the electric chair 
I know. <laughs> like, what is that just a big switch? Like, is that guy with the slit in the in the veil, right? The black wedding veil? Like that? I mean, I don't know how. I mean, I think that, like, with the firing squad, like, nobody knows who does it, right? It's it's all, but you know when you're pulling this and you're you the know guy. That you're doing it. Yeah, you know you're... you're doing it. And to do that over 300 times, like, yeah. I mean, I don't know what that is, but is the guy making an entire podcast about it? Because it's like, I don't know. No, because unfortunately the guy, uh, he died. He got an incredibly aggressive form of cancer and was dead in like four months or something like that. Um, But he had uh, supposedly was supposed to be like, like a whole, a whole story. My issue with it was it was incredible. And I, I'm not saying this as a joke. I'm saying is that after like 10 it gets really, really repetitive. Like there's no difference. There's no difference. It's just like, you know, like how you go out for a jog every day. It's like, oh, that's what I'm doing today. Right? I mean, I just don't know what type of personality is like right. I can do and that's, day in and day out. That's what's interesting. The guy 100 Especially since one more thing, especially since the extra layer of how many people have gone to their desk and they were completely innocent and then having to deal with you know, deal with that. Doesn't even think about it. I know, but I mean, that person has to be emotionally like. No, he's emotionally. He was completely invested in that. He was doing the Lord's work and that he was the arm of vengeance and, and retribution for the, for the lost. And this is what needed to be done. He wasn't like circle back to the bias and the, and, and like people getting their, you know, they have their their feedback loop of what they think they're doing. You'd have to have something like that in yeah. order to be able to do that. Yeah. Like, and now it makes sense because he thought he was doing the Lord's work. I mean, I, I yeah. and that's his belief system. And, and I'm just saying like somebody who did that day in and day out would have to have something in order to continue doing that every day. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have some whack jobs these angels of death and like hospitals and shit that, that have that same kind of mentality, but, but it's criminal, you know, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. at least this guy did it within the bounds of, of the accepted laws of our, of our country. But um, still, I, it's, it's a very strange existence. Yeah. I I completely agree. And that's assuming that it's not just like some hidden psychopath himself who actually really, Hey, this is a way that I can do what I want to do right. within the bounds of the law. You know, I mean, there's, there's definitely. Yeah. That, that, that's where my mind went first. I'm like, Oh, this guy wishes that he had the balls to go be a murderer. And they're like, no, 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 no. It's a calling. It's a calling where he feels that, you know, it needs, it needs to be done. And this is his burden and uh, his job. And that he's, he's granting peace and closure to families and ridding, you know, society of, of these horrible people. Someone's got to do it, right? Mm. I don't know. Mm. Um, But um, the last thing I learned, very, very disturbing thing I learned about Ted Bundy was the necrophilia. I'd never heard that associated. Oh, you you didn't know that? Nope. He seemed uh, not that type of serial killer. Because he was good looking? No, no, no. Because he he portrayed what he sold. 
you know, I mean, what his front facing kind of persona was one of uh, kind of erudition and class and he dressed nice and he spoke well, you know, it didn't seem to me like he was sneaking back off into the woods, you know, um, like a Gary Ridgway type. Gary Ridgway just seemed like dirty. He's just like a dirty fucking guy in a pickup truck and fucking dirty and flannels and jeans. Well, I wear flannels and jeans, but I'm I just was like, hey, don't don't mess with the flannels. Okay? <laughs> right. <clears throat> but you know what I mean? Like he, he, he didn't he wouldn't defend himself. I, you know? That's what I'm trying to say. The difference with Ted Bundy and where he would put himself on this platform. And that's why that's what he told, you know, Detective Reichert and Kep, Bob, Detective Kepler when they went there was that you need to go back right. to these sites because he will come back. And and he would speak in third person like, you know, he he didn't do it because at that time, you know, he he wouldn't really talk. He, he wasn't going to talk to them about, you know, he was he just wouldn't talk about it, but he clearly eventually did. But um, they couldn't in that situation because the they never had any. I mean, not to not to be crude, but they didn't have any fresh bodies that they could do because, you know, the, the with the the river man. Um, <clears throat> so that didn't work. But had they done that, it would have they would have caught him if, if they could have had him, you know, come back and they would have staked out. But just the way that the investigation rolled out, they never had that opportunity to do that. But he was right, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. <clears throat> and all it would take for me as an investigator to know that this is hopeless and this guy's a maniac and should probably die. When he said something like he said this sentence, he said, uh, oh, about going back to the girl in the woods. He said, but with all the local wildlife, sometimes there's not much left. Yeah. I know he's, uh, you know, elevating it. Oh, it's like it. it, It's like he doesn't even hear himself speak, right? You know, he just thinks that. Yeah, exactly. Putting himself above other people, like his response to Anne Marie's mom was just so repulsive to me. Probably the most repulsive of everything because he just had no humanity, which is no surprise. But he was you know, acted like she was like bothering him by even asking the question, like sure. again. And finally, exactly. Like yeah. again, you know, are you as high on, he did all this as that one guy in the episode, that guy in the episode, like he's going to blame him for the Chicago fire. He thinks that Ted Bundy killed everybody. I mean, are, are you that kind of like, do you think he has over like hundreds of victims or a hundred victims or, I do, because I think that yeah, okay. he, um, I mean, I don't know of a hundred, but based on like how he operated and yeah. where he was driving, I mean, that, that he drove that, that VW bugs. I can hear it in my head, you know, just yeah. everywhere crisscrossing like, and, and people wouldn't know that that was him. And so. See, I, at first I was like, this guy's too much. And he's trying to blame Ted Bundy as the boogeyman, like for everything. But then, you know, sure, evidence, circumstantial evidence, but evidence nonetheless, especially when he would say that there were some things that Bundy wouldn't discuss. Too close to home, too young, too whatever. And there are cases that check all of those boxes. So that, you know, that stuff makes sense. And that kind of falls in line for me. Um, But but yeah, it was a, a great... And kind of terrible education on uh, on Ted Bundy today. So uh, 
I, I, I enjoyed learning that. And uh, it was, man, that, that whole run of when he's in Chi Omega, that was fucking brutal. That was a weird. Well, and I mean, that's why people, you know, the, 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 the hybristophilia people, it's like, if you knew what, I mean, you know what he's done. How could you even like what? Yeah. It's like a psychosis, you know? It is. <clears throat> it is. Woo. All right. Well, anyway, great job. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. What do you got coming up? Got a couple things in the hopper and we will okay. keep you guessing. We'll see what happens. All right. Good deal. Well, I will get this one uh, published ASAP. Um, so uh, Murder Chronicles Nation, thank you again for taking the time out of your week to uh, spend a little of it with us. Uh, please uh, pray that the heat wave breaks in Los Angeles because I'm suffering. So think of me. Okay. Think of me. <laughs> I need your help. Well, uh, I would do the rain dance, but I know you don't believe in those things. I'm no, I certainly don't. I certainly do not. Uh, but in all seriousness, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh, please consider supporting the great companies that support our show uh stay safe uh carolyn would you like to add anything i'm carolyn osorio with brandon morgan and we'll see you next week thank you everybody please stay safe out there Bye. the murder chronicles is a pie in the sky production recorded live in the beautiful pacific northwest we are produced by brandon morgan and myself music by soundstripe for pie in the sky media i'm carolyn osorio your writer and host thanks for listening Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.